Welcome to the next message from Encounter Church. For more information about our church, visit us online at EncounterPGH.com. Thanks for listening, and enjoy the message. All right, good morning, everybody. So good to see all of you. My gosh, we got a full house. This is so awesome to see. Um, So, you know... Obviously, we just recently made this transition to the house church. Um, I think it's awesome. Uh, we are still working out seating, clearly. Um, but uh, we, so this week, we've added a few pillows for the floor. So for those of you who are floor inclined, maybe a little bit more flexible, um, you know, feel free to sit there. That frees up space for everybody else. So um, I, and what I love this personally, I love this because it feels to me like uh, like that story in the Bible, and this is not the message for today, but there's that, that story where Jesus was um, preaching in a house, and it was so full that the uh, that these friends had a, these guys had a friend who was paralytic, and he couldn't move, and they actually cut a hole in his roof, in this roof of this guy's house, and lowered the guy down into the crowd that probably felt just like this, right? Because there's nowhere for him to be, and in no instance of any kind in that passage of scripture did Jesus like was he annoyed or was he upset or was there any kind of inclination that that was not cool um and so I don't know I just feel like we're in good company today when we're when we're jam-packed next to each other um you know we're just we're in a we're in a right great position to be able to hear from God so I'm excited for that um today so all right so today we are continuing our message series that we just started last week, um, which is called Life as a House. And uh, we're talking about God's house, right? So we talked about last week about what it is, what is God's house. And when we say that, what is God's house, we're talking about this, the place that God dwells and reveals himself to his people. So in traditional times, in the Bible, that was in a tent, right? So we talked last week in the tabernacle and the tent, and then it became an official building like the temple. Um, and then in the New Testament, uh, when Jesus uh, resurrected, he gave us the Holy Spirit. And then the Bible says that each of us are the, our God's house, the temple of God's house. The temple of the Lord is He's living within us, so we are his temple. And then it goes even further to talk about the body of Christ, the kingdom of God, which is each of us individually, and we collectively are God's house no matter where we meet. And so the Bible has a whole lot to say about what God's house is to look like, but there's no specific prescribed way to build it. And so what we're talking about in this series is what God's house looks like for us at Encounter Church. And so last week we read out of Ephesians chapter 2, and we learned that we are God's house, particularly. And then Haggai chapter 1 where we learned that we have a responsibility to take care of God's house. And so last week's message was all about the lifestyle of a Christian is the upkeep and the expansion of God's house. And so we started talking about the different rooms in our house and what they should look like. And so this week, we're going to talk about the first room in our house, and that is the living room. The living room. Um, When I was a a kid, or even like probably in my teenage years, I was a pastor's son. Uh, my dad is still a pastor, and um, a lot of times we would go to people's houses to visit them. And it was this strange phenomenon that I found that I don't feel like is quite as common now as it was then. But you would walk into someone's house, and you would walk into you know, and immediately see where they live. But they take you to this certain room, which was called a sitting room. Right? It was a, like a fancy 
room that had really nice couches. It had nice decorations on the walls. Um, and it didn't look like anybody lived there. <laughs> anybody seen those kinds of rooms? Like in people's houses, you go there and it's like, who lives here? No one lives here, right? And I always thought it was strange as a kid because I thought to myself, this is not what my house is like. I don't, I don't, this is not where I spend my time. Um, it was usually very formal. It was designed for visitors and it was really designed to impress them, right? But the reality is that my impression was that no one ever visited there and no one would ever want to sit in there. It looked completely uncomfortable. But interestingly enough, um, if we spent more time there than just like coffee or, you know, like a short meeting, if we became friends and we were there more often, then we stopped going to that room and we would go to the actual place that they spend time in, which is more like the family room or a living room, right? And that's where the TV is. That's where the comfortable couches are, right? That's where there's pictures on the wall of all the family members. That's where it literally looks like people live there. This is clear. There might be like a sock sitting there, you know, like, and a shirt somewhere <laughs> Because this is where life happens, in that sort of a space. Um, that's where real life is. And so when we talk about the living room of Encounter Church, of God's house, of our house, of what God wants to do, do we want a space where we pretend like we have it all together, where we're trying to impress people? Or do we want the real life lived-in room where we can be ourselves and be comfortable. A place where real life happens. Well, the answer, of course, is that we want real life, right? I think we want to be ourselves. We want real relationships. We want real connections. And that's why, that's what the living room is all about. It's about these two things. It's about connection and about belonging. When I go to the fancy sitting room, I don't feel like I connect with you and I don't feel like I belong here. But when I'm in your living room in a comfortable space and I'm incorporated, now I feel like I'm connected to who you are. I have a, a sense of your history, a sense of what you are about. And then at the same time, and then if it's and if you, you, you welcome me appropriately, I feel like I belong there. And that's why the vision of our church is to encounter God in real life, right? We have these shirts that say that. That's what we're all about. And actually, three of our five core values begin in the living room. We have relationships first, right? That's one of our core values, relationships first. That starts in the living room. Our second one is everyone is welcome. Again, connection and belonging, right? Everybody is welcome here. And then unity through Christ. You have a place to belong no matter where you come from, no matter your background. You are welcome here and we're unified because of Jesus. So the question that we're going to ask today is what does life as a house look like from the living room? What does life as a house look like from the living room? And what I want to do today is I want to look at a bunch of scriptures that talk about the living room of God's house and see how it's all about connection and belonging but also to see what it looks like when it's done right. So if you guys have your Bibles, go ahead and pull those out. Uh, your smartphones are probably the way to go, or a tablet. Um, I encourage you to open up the Bible app. If you don't have it, go to the App Store or the Google Play Store and download Bible app. We're going to be reading out of a bunch of scriptures, so I don't know if you'll be able to follow along. If you want to take notes, maybe open up notes in your phone or however, and then write them down. You can look at them later in the week, but there's going to be a bunch of of scriptures. It's going to kind of be a little bit of rapid fire, and we're going to briefly talk about each one, and then we'll discuss uh, at the end. So the first one is Matthew chapter 18, verse 20. Matthew 18, 
verse 20, and I'm reading out of the Christian Standard Bible, that's CSB, and it says this, this is Jesus talking, for where two or three are gathered together in my name, I am there among them, right? So the first thing we see, and possibly the most important aspect of the living room in a Christian setting, in the God's house concept, is it's actually spiritual. What does Jesus say? He says, when two or three are gathered, not just just gathered, because that happens everywhere. Right now there's people at brunch. Right now there's two people in bedrooms sleeping. There's two people like in a backyard. That's not what we're talking about. He says, when two or three are gathered in my name, like for the express purpose or the concept of what drives me and you as people is Jesus Christ. Right? When two or more are gathered in his name, I am there among them, which means the presence of God is guaranteed. It is guaranteed. So when you step into this building, into this house every Sunday, because we are brothers and sisters under the name of Jesus Christ, that means that he is here. Jesus is here, like sitting on the floor. Like imagine that for a second. Like we should treat this space as though he's hanging out with us, right? And he's got a bagel and he's like toasting it over there. Like that is what this should be like, right? So everywhere we go, but it's not just here. You meet up at the park with, you know, friends. You go to a baseball game. You go out to dinner with each other, right? You have a, a time together. Like the concept is, is that wherever you're gathered, because Jesus is present in your lives, he is there with you. That's awesome. Anything is possible when his presence is the foundation. Healing takes place, right? Spiritual growth takes place. Um, encouragement takes place. Wisdom takes place. Discernment. All sorts of things happen just because his presence is there. That's awesome. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 19, um, talks about a different aspect of the living room. It says this, in Ephesians 5, Verse 19, so this is an encouragement, it says, So when you get together, speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. What, what is that talking about? So again, kind of continuing with the spiritual theme, because this is, I think, important for us to understand. Like, as Christians, we're not just a social club. Like, there's, there are plenty of places for us to go hang out and just be normal people, right? But there, this is the concept of why we exist, and which is why one of our core values is unity through Christ, is because the reason we gather is not just because we like each other, and not just because we might be lonely and we need connection or we need belonging, but because of who Jesus is and what he has done for us and how we have a relationship with him, that is what unites us. And because of that, there's the foundation of his presence. But in his presence, what we're told to do is to speak to one another in psalms, in hymns, in spiritual songs, singing and making music with your heart to the Lord. And that's talking about spiritual encouragement. So there's an aspect of what we should be doing when we come together, whether it's in coffee shops or whether it's here as a larger group, means that we should encourage each other in the Lord. Like, it should not feel awkward for you to say, hey, you know, I was reading my Bible this week, and, and I thought of you, and this, this, the scripture said this, and I, want, I thought it would be encouraging. That should be, like, the first thing that we're thinking about. Now, obviously, that only happens if we're actually reading our Bibles. Poke, 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 poke. But, like, you know, like, if this is what lives inside of us, or we hear a song on the radio, or I read a, a chapter out of a book. I mean, it's specifically talking about spiritual things, but it could be any number of things. Encouraging each other spiritually, speaking to each other in psalms. Those are poems, right? In, in the Old Testament, the psalms are poems and songs. In hymns, in spiritual songs. So now in our context, it could be any of those. It could be songs that we sang today. 
You know, it could be, hey, I know that you're going through this thing. And that song we sang on Sunday, there was one line particularly that really resonated with me and I wanted to share it with you, right? Or it could be, oh, you know, when I was growing up in church, there was this old hymn that we used to sing. I want to share it with you. Or it could be a passage of scripture or a book that you read, anything like that, spiritual encouragement. James chapter 5, verse 6. James 5, chapter 5, verse 6. James is saying, therefore... Confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. And then he adds this, the prayer of a righteous person is very powerful in its effect. So just real quickly, you know, if you wonder why we pray at the end of our service, it's because James 5, 6 says the prayer of righteous people is very powerful in its effect. In other words, like it is probably the strongest weapon that we have in our arsenal to be able to make a difference to someone. James chapter 5 verse 6. But it starts by saying, therefore confess your sins to one another. We're like, whoa, whoa, I don't know if I'm comfortable with that. Like confess my sin? Like that maybe conjures up ideas of some of you, maybe if you've gone to like, you know, Catholic churches where they have a confessional booth and you're like, I don't know about that. I don't know if I want to do that. And, and honestly, there was a little bit more of a safety in that space, right? Because you're in a dark room and you've got a wall between you and you know that there's like this confidentiality thing that's there. And, and almost in some ways, there's kind of like a, if you do A and B, you'll equal C, which usually results in some kind of forgiveness, right? But this is different. You might've heard me say this before. Can we confess to God for forgiveness, right? So we, 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 when we sin, when we make mistakes, when we screw up, when we are afraid, when we know that we've done something wrong, we go to our private place and we say, God, I hate this about myself. I screwed up again. God, forgive me. I don't want this in my life. Help me to be better, right? That's where we find grace and mercy and forgiveness. So we go to God for forgiveness, but we confess to each other for healing, we confess to each other for healing. Because what happens is, is that when we go around our day, you know, our lives, days upon days upon weeks upon months upon years, and we hold things that we've done inside and don't tell people about it, it turns poisonous inside of us. And what happens when we share with a trusted friend something that, that we tell them that we confess it to them. Not that they can offer any kind of resolve or absolution to us, but when we pour out our heart, it's like a release valve that allows the pressure to, to, to come out. You ever seen like movies, like where you've got like those pipes that are shaking and like you've got that, that like um, the little gauge that's going back and forth and it's about to explode, right? That's what it's like for us as people when we hold things inside, particularly mistakes or, or shame or sin, right? When we hold those things inside, we don't tell people, we hold it in. When we do that, it, it turns bitter. It poisons the, the very blood in us, not physically, but like, like, like emotionally and spiritually inside of us. And when we turn that crank and we allow the pressure to come out and the steam comes out, that's the, the metaphor of us sharing with a, with a friend, someone we can trust. It, it releases and then everything begins to calm down. It doesn't mean you don't still have to repair things. Right? But that's why it says, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another so that you may be healed. We need friends. We need brothers and sisters that we can share with. And the living room is a place 
for that. And that's why we're creating EC gentlemen and EC ladies, is so that we can have places where we can come, not in the whole group, but in smaller subsets. That's why we encourage you, each of us, to get together for coffee or to have each other over for dinner and those things. And we'll talk more about what that might look like in our discussion. But it's important for us to do that, but also to pray for each other. So don't just, again, get in each other's room or in spaces and hear it and go, hmm, that sucks. Man, I'll pray for you. I will pray for you later. <laughs> you know? Like like and that's good to pray for each other later, but you know what what helps the healing to begin immediately is to say, "Can I just let's just pray right now?" And you don't have to have fancy words. You don't have to know what you're doing. It's just just talking to God on behalf of that person. It's beautiful. I encourage you to do that. James 5:6. All right. Next, Hebrews 10. I hope you're writing these down because it's a lot. Oh, I'm so sorry. James 5, verse 16. Thanks, everybody. And for those of you on the recording, James 5, 16. <laughs> All right. Okay, sorry. It's like I will punch you in the face if you're mean to me. All right, Hebrews chapter 10. Hebrews 10, verses 24 and 25. So this one's really interesting. And let us watch out for one another... To provoke love and good works. I love that. Provoke love. (laughs) Let us watch out for one another to provoke love and good works, not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other in all the more that you see the day approaching. Okay, first what I want to say out of this is it's really interesting that this was written 2,000 years ago. Okay, 2,000 years ago, and what do we see? The temptation to isolate yourself is nothing new. Right. This happened in the early days of the church when like just before this, we read passages of scripture that were talking about how thousands of people were being added to the church on a daily basis. Right. Like it was taking over the world like this man, Jesus, had resurrected and years have gone by at this point. By the time Hebrews was written, probably 30, 40 years had gone by. Okay, so it just shows you how quickly human nature and the routines of life can just kind of get get into place and get in the way. You get busy with your job, you get busy with your family, you get busy with wanting to do stuff. I get it. That's This is normal life. And what Paul, I think Luke actually here is saying, is he's saying, first, let's watch out for each other. Like, let's be aware throughout the week of what's going on. So like when we come here, and, I, and I'm just as guilty as this as anybody else, it's not my natural, and I'm working on it, right? Is to, when we come to church on a Sunday morning, and I hear someone say to me, man, I'm really struggling with this thing, or I got a job interview this week, or any number of things, right? When you leave, my tendency is to kind of get back into my life, and then I don't necessarily think about it. I have to train myself, and that's what he's saying is watch out for each other. Like, think about each other, and if you got to put a note in your phone, an alarm, or like a to-do list or something so that you reach out to each other, or that you make time to get on the Facebook group and chat with each other, whatever you got to do, do it. Because we need to watch out for each other to provoke love and good works. Like, spur each other on. Encourage you. Like, text your friend. Be like, hey, are you coming to church this Sunday? Like, it can't just be Pastor Jared saying, hey, are you coming to church this Sunday? It needs to be all of us, you know, to provoke each other to love and good works. Not neglecting to gather together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging each other. So we need to watch out for each other. Commitment to connection and commitment to belonging. I think it was just really interesting that that the apostle writes and literally calls it out, like, 
This needs to be a priority for us, for us, our relationships. All right, let's move on. Ecclesiastes 4, going old school in the Old Testament. Ecclesiastes 4. This is Solomon writing here at the end of his life. Solomon, the richest king in the world. Solomon, who had 300 wives and concubines. Like, he had everything, and at the end of his life, he's writing a memoir and essentially going, I have seen everything. And this is what he says. Ecclesiastes 4, verse 9. Two are better than one, because they have a good reward for their efforts. For if either falls, his companion can lift him up. But pity the one who falls without another to lift him up. I pity the fool. Also, if two lie down, they can keep warm. They can, they can spoon each other. But how can one person alone keep warm? And if someone overpowers one person, two can resist him. A cord of three strands is not easily broken. The only thing I want to say about this is that we are better together. We are better together. I mean, this is a man who had everything, and at the end of his life realized what was most important, and it was that other people are there with you. If you can hear anything about what the living room of God's house should be like, it is that we are better together. And that takes commitment, it takes an intentionality, but it's about connection and belonging. We are better together. Romans chapter 12, back to the New Testament. There are like five more. <laughs> I'm going to try to be quick here. I'm just saying, like, guys, the, is it like hitting in here? Like, the living room of God's house is is like is talked about constantly. Like it's it's so evident. Romans twelve ten. Love one another deeply as brothers and sisters. But it goes on to say, outdo one another in showing honor. Interesting. So this is like about honor, about respect. It's about living, lifting each other up. It's about talking positively to each other. But it doesn't just say that, it's almost like a game. It says outdo one another, like competition. It's like, who can be better at honoring the other person? You know, like in a world where gossip is is king, in a world where you go to the grocery store and at the aisle, uh, when you go to the checkout line, there's all of those magazines that are basically telling you all the stuff about everybody else's lives. And most of them are like, you know, oh, this person slept with that person, this person cheated on that person, like all of those kinds of things. In this house, in God's house, the living room is supposed to be like, oh my gosh, that person is awesome. They're so kind. They're so generous. You need help. That person will help you. Like, like going out of your way, outdo each other in honor and respect. Galatians chapter 6. And by the way, all of these letters, if you're noticing, they're all different books. They're written by different people, written to different groups of people in different parts of the world. The message is literally designed to be the same all over the world. Galatians chapter 6, verse 2, we see a really great part of what it means to be in the living room of God's house. Carry one another's burdens. And interestingly, in this way, you fulfill the law of Christ. Wow. Okay. Fulfill the law of Christ. Like, so what was the law of Christ? When Jesus was in, I think it was in the in Matthew um, and maybe in like Luke, where it says, one of the guys comes to him and says, what is the greatest commandment? They were trying to trap Jesus. And he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your mind, with all your soul and your strength. And love your neighbor as yourself. He said, this sums up the law and the prophets, right? So that's Christ's law. And then here we say, carry one another's burdens. And in that way, you fulfill that law. So like, it can't be any clearer. In the living room of God's house, 
It is our obligation to know what is going on with our friends and our brothers and sisters, but to walk with them through it, to help them carry their burdens. Sometimes that means wrapping your arm around them and helping them walk. And that might just mean sitting in the living room with them while they cry. Other times it might be, hey, you know what, I, you can't buy groceries this week. Let me buy groceries for you or get you a gift card, or take you out to coffee. I mean, it could be any number of things. Carry each other's burdens. And when we do it, we fulfill the law of Christ. Belonging is about being real enough to show people where you need help. I want to say that again. I want you guys to hear this. Connection leads to belonging. When somebody walks in the door, we want to connect them to relationships. Connection leads to belonging. And belonging is about being real enough to show people where you need help. That's what it means to belong. It means that you can open yourself up enough to show people. And belonging also means carrying each other. 1 Corinthians 15, verse 33. I need to pick up the pace. <laughs> 1 Corinthians 15, 33. Do not be deceived. Bad company corrupts good morals. Interesting. What's this about? I think it speaks to the character of the people that we spend most of our time with. Okay, so this is talking about choosing your priority in life. Connection is about, this is about speaking to the character of the people that we spend most of our time with because we become like the people that we are around the most. So who do we want to become? Who do you want to be like? What do you want to be like? And if you spend all your time with people who are not your brothers and sisters in Christ, who are not going to be encouraging you, who are not going to be lifting you up, who are not going to be carrying your burdens, if you're not with them, you're going to become like them and you're going to be less apt to do that for other people. Uh, Whereas, what he's saying is when you spend time with your brothers and sisters in Christ, you will become like each other. 1 Peter 4, verse 9. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. So we need to be marked by hospitality. Marked by hospitality. Welcoming. We need to be welcoming people. Mi casa es su casa. That's the idea, right? Not just my house, but tu casa. <laughs> I don't know how you... Otto, how do you say your house is our house? I'm literally right here. How do you say my house is your house? Well, that's mi casa. How do you say your house is my house? <laughs> There you go. So, the, <laughs> all right, whatever. That didn't work. But the point is, <laughs> all right, whatever. Be hospitable to one another without complaining. In other words, like let's all welcome each other into our into each other's homes, and let's do it without complaint. Let's be hospitable. Let's be marked by hospitality. First Corinthians, chapter ten or chapter one, verse ten. 1 Corinthians 1, chapter 10. We're getting close to the end here. Now I urge you, brothers and sisters, in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ, that all of you agree in what you say, that there be no divisions among you, and that you be united with the same understanding and the same conviction. This is talking about no divisions. It's talking about unity. This is one of the things that destroys relationships, destroys families, destroys organizations, is when you don't care for each other enough to where you work through your problems. We cannot allow our family to be divided because that's why people don't want to go to church in a lot of ways. That's why people don't want to know about Jesus is because they see Christianity as a whole and they see it as divided and not united. But what the Bible says over and over again is when you are united in love, when you do love each other, when you are together, the world will know that you love Christ and will know that your lives have been changed. People will know that we are that this is the real deal 
when we're united. Why? Why is that? It's because when, when you and I disagree about something that we're passionate about and yet can still live in the same space with each other, it's, that is so different than the rest of the world. We prove to people that Jesus is the banner and that he is the great equalizer among all things and that we can know him and find forgiveness and grace and mercy, not just for our lives, but for each other, even when we have vehement disagreements with each other, when we have been hurt by each other, when we have been hurt by the things that we do or we say when we make mistakes, when we forgive and we find grace and we work through it and maybe still don't agree, but yet still love each other. Wow, that sends a message so clear to our world that is different than anything else. That's why we must be unified. And so there will be days in the future that come up where we will be have disagreements about things, but we need to talk to each other. We need to confront each other, not in anger, but in truth and in love, and work through it and find unity. That is a standard for our church. Romans 14, this is the last one. Romans 14, verses 1 through 4. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue in, about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one is weak. Who one who is weak eats only vegetables. Now, this is not saying vegetarians or vegans are weak. What this is talking about specifically is food sacrificed to idols, meat sacrificed to, in. So they would have temples and they would sacrifice those animals, and then afterwards people would eat them, like to partake in the spiritual ritual. And Paul here is basically saying, it don't matter, your God is false, I'll eat the meat because it's just meat, right? That's what he's saying. But some people just were like, I don't know, I don't like it, I just can't do it. And he's saying, fine, it doesn't matter. That's what he's saying. Accept anyone who is weak in faith, but don't argue about disputed matters. One person believes he may eat anything, while one who is weak eats only vegetables. One who eats must not Look down on one who does not eat, and one who does not eat must not judge the one who does, because God has accepted him. Who are you to judge another household servant? Before his own Lord, he stands or he falls, and he will stand, because the Lord is able to make him stand. Here's what I want to say about this, is that we've talked about everyone is welcome, right? We talk about connection, we talk about belonging. Belonging no matter where you are on the journey. That's a part of this living room, part of God's house. It's belonging no matter where you are on the journey. Some people will walk in the room and have come from maybe a very legalistic, um, very, very conservative, very strong cultured church. They believe all sorts of things. I, like, I came from churches where women can't, women can't wear pants, where alcohol is outlawed, where if you listen to non-Christian music, it sounds nuts for some of us, but some people might walk in the room here and we have to know that they are welcome and they belong here and it will take time for them to understand that God is bigger than those rules. Some of us will walk in the room and be incredibly liberal and incredibly open to all sorts of things and have different viewpoints or stances or theological understandings about different things that maybe some of us don't. But if we are united under Jesus Christ, we are all welcome here to belong under the banner of Jesus no matter where you are in the journey. It doesn't mean that we shouldn't examine, and it doesn't mean that the Holy Spirit won't convict us of things that we need to change over time, because I believe that is the case, and we will have those conversations. But everyone is welcome in the living room no matter where you are on your journey. All right, so... The big idea of today's message, the living room of God's house is all about connection and belonging. Relationships first, everyone is welcome, unity through Christ. So, I have a few questions for us today. 
What does connection and belonging mean to you? What does connection and belonging mean to you? And this is a moment for us, as I've kind of finished talking now to sort of digest. For some of us, we need to talk out loud. For some of you, if you're more processors, it's okay not to talk right away or even talk at all, and that's fine. But this is an opportunity for us to begin the steps of what does it mean now to walk this out and live this out in my own life? What does connection and belonging mean to you? I'm going to wait patiently because I know someone will think of something. So, okay. Acceptance. So just like what we read, where it doesn't matter what your belief or you know what you feel is right or wrong, you're still accepted within the community within the church. Okay. Acceptance. I think it means to feel uncomfortable with the people you're spending time with and able to express uh, concerns or joy or whatever it is that you have in your mind. You know, closed up because there's people who will openly accept what you have and raise it up to Christ. That's good. Awesome. There are no wrong answers, unless you're saying that, you know, they're not belonging or not welcome. But <laughs> I think it's more than a superficial just being there or showing up. It's coming and then <coughs> engaging with people and getting to know people and <coughs> share, like being your honest self, too. That's good. Yes, Annie. Not being afraid to speak out. Not being afraid to speak out, yeah, for sure. Okay. What elements of the living room excite you? I think the depth, the depth of the living room really excites me. I love. No, I said I said this last week. Like I, I hate shallow conversations. So like getting to the nitty gritty of like (coughs) things, like the really good things and why they're good, but also the bad things and why they're bad and and being able to really connect with people on a really deep authentic level it's so i think that the depth of relationship really is important to me let me reread not the scriptures but i have some summaries here just sort of some of the some of the all of them here is the uh here here are the summaries of those verses gathered in jesus's name spiritual encouragement confessing and praying together commitment to each other the atmosphere of honor Carrying each other's burdens, hospitality, unity, and grace for everyone and every minute. What, which parts of the living room excite you? We have depth. I think it's also the living room. I mean, when you come into your house, it's the living room. It's the place where you can drop your bags from the day. Mm. And so that living room, like the church living room, is the same thing. Like you come in and you drop your bags and you can just, oh, you can just breathe and let go of whatever you're holding on to. That's awesome. I think for me, it's like comfortability too, just knowing that, you know, it's a place where I can, you know, Chris kind of said it too, but accepting, but it's a place where I can just be me. So I can come in and maybe one day I'm feeling a little fancy. Maybe one day I just want sweatpants, you know, it's just whoever I am and however I'm feeling, I can be there and I can be comfortable in that place I am in my life. However, however I'm feeling, whatever I'm going through, I know that I can just be there and, and know that I'm surrounded in whatever moment I'm in. I think what excites me is being able to go over a friend's house and openly speaking about your faith in Christ. Yeah. It's really hard to do that these days, uh, out in the open, 
like in the world out there, it I find it hard myself. Mm-hmm. I'm a pastor and all that. So. <laughs> so I, I'm not a Superman, so. <laughs> but when you can sit down and talk about Jesus openly yeah. and things that happen to you and the way He works in your lives and listen to other people's stories, it's very encouraging. Yeah, like, everybody has mentioned pretty much the comfortability of the living room, and I think that that's so, if not the most important part, because if you're not comfortable where you are, you're not going to open up, you're not going to share the good and the bad, you're not going to carry someone's burdens. If you're uncomfortable, it's real awkward, you know, and and I think that comfortability presents so many opportunities for conversation, and, um, yeah. Yeah, I don't think you, I mean, so the idea of connection and belonging, those don't happen in awkward, uncomfortable places, you know, like, kind of back to my, my first illustration, you know, you go to someone's house and you're in this fancy room, I don't feel like I can be myself, yeah. and I don't feel like you're being yourself. I feel like you're trying to tell me this is what you want me to see, you know, and, and if anybody has one of these in their house, I'm not, like, insulting, I'm just, it was for the, obviously, for the, for the metaphor, but, you know, that idea, um, to me, if I really want to get to, if, if you want me to really get to know you, I need to feel comfortable in your house, and in order to feel comfortable, there needs to like that connection that belonging only comes from a space of like reality, like there's a realness to it. But I think consistency comes from comfortability too. Yeah. I'm not going to want to go to your house if I'm sitting here in this like straight back chair, you know, wearing my work clothes, and like you know, I'm just not comfortable both physically and probably not you know wanting to talk about anything. I'm going to come to your house way more often if I'm in my jammies and I'm like eating pizza on a couch, you know what I mean? And that's going to present, um, it's, it presents more consistency, which then creates more opportunities. Yeah. So which of the elements of the living room will require new habits? He was going to talk. Oh, hey. Yeah. This is Josh, everybody. <laughs> hey, Josh. Uh, just not to like be contrary, but to push back a little bit kind yeah. of this like the extended metaphor of like the like the kind of the, the nicer mm-hmm. like area for guests and then like the living room I I want to like agree in principle with kind of this oh yeah we should like be authentic like like how can you speak against authenticity like it's clearly a good thing but it also seems that like you can't be too authentic that that doesn't work either if I like meet someone for the first time and oh, yeah. I just suddenly like bear my soul out to them. They, <laughs> yeah, for they, sure. They can't deal with that. Uh, so it seems there is like it takes time, right? You have to be kind of the correct amount of authentic. Which that's a really good point. Which is kind of like that idea. That's a great, really great thought. So like that last scripture verse that talks about. Um, the idea of like respecting and welcoming everybody in there where they're at in their journey, I think is really important is that, you know, when we were making the, the decision to shift to this approach, you know, I had conversations with people about what it would look like. And, you know, the idea of like, well, it sounds kind of cool, but at the same time, like, I don't know, I don't know if I want to be called on or I don't know that I'm ever going to want to talk. Right. Some of those kinds of things. And it's like knowing that they're like we want to create the atmosphere where the expectation is authenticity, and at the same time, I think to your point, recognizing that that takes time, and you know, and effort and comfortability. Is that kind of what you're going for? Like, yeah. So I, I would 100% agree with that, and I appreciate you bringing that up. So which which elements of the living room will require new habits? Some of it's natural, right? Everybody likes the comfortability part. Like, yeah, I'd love to go to a place where I can just kind of like lay out on your couch. 
But like it was, there were other things that are aspects of the living room that maybe are more challenging and we don't naturally do. What are some, some of those that might require new habits from us? Speaking out. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah. Oh, okay. All right. Sharing my space. Sharing your space, like your personal space, like okay. You mean I mean that could be that could be on that chair with you, yeah. or it could be actually in your Anybody own. Anybody could have sat here, by the way. <laughs> but it could also mean like I need to invite people to my house, like those kinds of space, like all of it. Is that what you meant? Okay, cool. Yeah, it's great. What else? Respecting people, despite, you know, like, those opportunities I keep bringing up, they are going to not always be great. You know, conversations are going to, you're not always going to agree, so respecting people. And it's hard to be vulnerable, too. I mean, you're coming in and we're talking about, oh, everyone's like, kumbaya, and we're going to share our (laughs) burdens or whatever, but, like, that's hard and that yeah. can be scary even when it is people that you're comfortable with if you're coming with something that's really heavy and weighing on yeah. you you're going to struggle with that no matter who you're with sometimes and I would also say the opposite can be true I'll just take the hit on this one um, you know sometimes when somebody and this is being honest okay so like equally honest sometimes people come in and they're so heavy and they're heavy for a long time it can be almost like for other people can be like, oh, get over it already. And that's just as wrong. Like, so, you know, I think that's the space of, that's where it is hard. It's really hard to, you know, for when you're here for an hour, I want to talk about good things. Nobody wants to sit there and like weep for an hour, but yet we're called to carry each other's burdens. And that's so hard. And especially, huh? Go to Kylie. Well, she likes to weep for an hour. But I mean, week after week after week, you know, I mean, everybody is, has met people who like, they just seem like Debbie Downer all the time or Donald Downer will be equal here. But like, you know what I mean? Like, but like that's some people, they are in a place in which they, they, it's going to be a prolonged season for them that they're in that space. And are we authentic enough to allow that to exist and allow ourselves to take time when I could be watching a movie with my spouse to instead go for coffee or go to someone's house. I mean, that's that's where the real rubber meets the road, I think, in this. So that's for sure, you know, habits that we have to develop. Yeah. What else? I'd say uh, being more intentional about your relationships with people. So okay. it's kind of like you said, like, you're in this space, and then after everyone leaves, you kind of just go back to your own life. Yeah. So you should make strides to check in with people throughout the week or make time to pray for them or pray with them. And it takes intentionality. Mm-hmm. Kind of like I said, some of the things that I have said were things that I have actually started doing, which is like putting in my phone an alarm to text certain people or to you know, check the Facebook or to make a phone call or to set aside a day of the week to go do something with somebody. Like Those are things that I, if I'm, I don't know if anybody else is like me, but I have a natural tendency. I go to work and I do my thing. When I get home, I just want to relax. And so then I'm just like, hey, what are we doing tonight? And it almost always is whatever Heather and I are doing tonight. It's not... I don't have that global thought process, but I know I want to, and I know I need to, and so that's something that, you know, we have conversations about. about. So that's actually a great um, segue into our next question, maybe even our last question, which is, what are some ways that we can put into practice these things as a church family? Like, what are some actual things that maybe we could do? Like, I've thought about this myself. Like, we meet once a week, and then in October, we're going to start meeting every other week as the men's group and the women's group. But what are some things that maybe we could do either as an official thing or even just smaller aspects of our church to make sure that we are doing, you know, some of these types of things? Anybody have ideas? This is a great time to share ideas about what you'd like your church to look like relationally. 
I mean, this isn't like a specific idea, but kind of going off of what Sarah said a little bit, um, it's easy to fall victim to the bystander effect in a large group of like, oh, somebody else will organize this thing, or somebody mm-hmm. else will invite us over to house, or somebody else will text that person and make sure that they're <laughs> doing okay today. But um, not saying that you have to be the one to do all of those things, but like each individual can take responsibility. Like, you know what? No, I'm not going to wait for somebody to invite me over. I'm going to invite them over this That's time. really good. Things like that. Okay. That's awesome. What else? I mean, do we think that, like, it could be official stuff or it could even be just, like, individually things like you were talking about, you know, should we have regular get-togethers outside of Sundays, like, you know, backyard hangouts or fires or mm-hmm. going to the movies or, I mean, see, here's, here's from, from my perspective, it's always challenging because um, you want to do things, but then you maybe plan events and then you know, we get a smaller group of people, and this is not specifically about the hike yesterday, it's, but it's an example of sometimes you do plan things and then people don't come. So, you know, in one sense, it's we should hang out together, and then in other senses, it's like, but then people are busy. So how do we how do we do that to make sure we're living these elements out? Wouldn't you think that part of the authenticity of the relationship would can contribute to the desire to hang out. You want to be with the people mm-hmm. who you you allow yourself to be uh, vulnerable with. Yeah. Um, and maybe that starts internally. That's true. So I think there's probably responsibility, kind of like what Annie was saying and what Sarah was saying, is that responsibility is two-way. You know, I need, we all need to be intentional. I need to be intentional. We each individually need to be intentional about saying, hey, we're doing this thing this weekend. We should invite people to come. You know, but just as equally, that individual should say either I want to, I'm having a thing and I'll invite someone, or I want to go to that thing. You know, and it doesn't mean that everybody has to be at everything, but it certainly, I think, needs to be an intentionality about about just keeping each other, looking out for each other. And I think that's probably the biggest thing. Like, oh, and I love that. And that scripture back here it said to watch out for each other. And I think it's kind of not just saying like watch out to make sure they don't fall. I think it's, I think maybe it's implied this idea of watch out for each other maybe means like just always having that person, these people in your thoughts. Because I think when I, when I do think about people, I naturally think about maybe texting or reaching out or something. It's when I'm not thinking, when I'm so focused on what I'm doing or what's in front of me that I forget the world around me. So I think that's the thing. I'm, my personal prayer is going to be, God, help me to just be more mentally present in that, in that space, you know? You had mentioned, um, a lot of people mentioned intentionality and, like, just yeah. action, like, just yeah. doing it, you know, making a point, setting a goal, just doing the thing. If, even setting yourself reminders in front, because I've had to do that, where, like, I don't want to keep forgetting to text this person. I don't want to, like, it's important. They're yeah. going through something. I want to make sure I'm reaching out to them despite my busy life. I've done that where I've, I've set, you know, reminders in my phone, but like you keep mentioning intentionality and the word sacrifice popped into my head and accountability because like with, we all know with any healthy relationship, you're going to have to sacrifice and you're going to have to compromise. And like when we make, and if, if it's important to you, right? Like if it's important to you to spend time with that person and to talk to that person and to really invest in quality of that relationship or friendship, 
you're going to have to sacrifice your time and you're going to have to sacrifice what you want sometimes. And that does mean like if, if as a whole or a, a body of people in the church is like, <coughs> we want to get together, we've planned this thing. Oh, well today I really just, I had a rough day. I really want to go home and I want to lay on the couch and I don't want to do this or, Oh, I've been to four other events this month. I don't want to do anything. I think <laughs> it takes sacrifice to say, well, what's more important to me right now? And it's not always going to be like, I'm not, this is coming from the extrovert. So like, I get it. Like I <laughs> like social events are like my like, yeah, but so, I mean, that works differently for other people. I understand. But it's like, if you're always saying, I want to spend time and I want to be invested and I want to be with people, but yet you're not actually attending things. Mm. Like you have to make the sacrifice that says it's more comfortable for me to stay home. Or it's, I'm too busy to do this. Eventually, if it's important enough to you, you're going to sacrifice your time. That's good. And on the other end, accountability of people who care about you to say, hey, dude, you, you mentioned wanting to come to more things, and you're not. So what's going on? That's really good. Any other thoughts about about this? I, I think, I mean, obviously, you know, it's a challenge in our modern world, but apparently, I mean, 2,000 years ago, it was still there. I mean... The writer of, of Hebrews was saying, like, don't neglect coming together as some who are accustomed to. Like they they struggle with it then, but it's so busy now. You know, it, our lives are are all over the place, and um, so yeah, I think it does take intentionality. But at the same time, I I love it. You know, the spiritual encouragement, the healing that comes from confessing and praying with each other, the commitment to each other, the atmosphere of honor. We can carry each other's burdens and joys. There's a place of hospitality. We're unified. There's grace. Like, those are good things. Like, things that you don't find anywhere else in our world, at least not all of them. And uh, and that's what's available for us. And that's what I think makes the church so powerful, is it's a place where we truly, um, truly can find that connection and that belonging. So... Thanks for listening to this week's podcast. If you call Encounter Church Home or if you'd like to partner with us to support the work that God is doing here, you can take advantage of our online giving option. Just go to EncounterGiving.com. Also, stay up to date with us throughout the week by following us on Facebook, Twitter, and Instagram at EncounterPGH. Thanks for listening, and we'll see you next week.